is Christmas really a peaceful time of the year? Or does, or does Christmas add another set of tasks to an already full plate? For many, Christmas means busyness. Peace, not so much. No sooner than when you put down the fork of your third helping of turkey and dressing does this unease begin to settle in all the things you know you need to do for the Christmas season. You need to get a tree. Should we cut it down or should we get it from the lot? Or maybe we'll just give in and get a fake one. Need to get out the box of decorations, the ladder, put up the lights. We need to create and send out Christmas cards. We need to make and bake Christmas cookies. We need to decide on who we're planning to spend time with in Christmas and maybe who we're planning to disappoint. And for me, the most stressful part of Christmas has always been the gift-giving. Not, not so much because I, I, have, I struggle with being generous, because I don't know what to give people. And I think about, uh, I didn't think about it, I don't usually think about it until now, until I've been married, actually, um, until like Christmas Eve or the day before. And I don't know if this picture kind of represents for me what, what shopping looks like, like at the mall or wherever. I, I thought this was a funny picture, especially that, that one guy right here. He's just holding on for dear life to his precious thing that he needs to get. And I remember on, on, on several occasions going in literally Christmas Eve going out to a mall just like in a crowd like this not with just one or two gifts I had to get but my entire Christmas list stressful it's a lack of peace but the stress doesn't end for me with shopping it continued with something that I still dread to this day wrapping and I don't mean the Jay-Z or Kanye type of wrapping. I'm talking about something that should be so simple, putting a piece of paper over a box with strategically placed tape and setting a bow on it. In that kind of wrapping, I am the worst rapper in the world. And my wife will attest. You can always tell my gifts by the, the bulges on the sides of the boxes of extra paper padding and haphazardly placed tape around it. And maybe a bow or not. most men. Every Christmas, we spend all this effort, incur all this stress, building up all this tension for this one day event where we hope finally the, the payoff will come. And for some, the payoff is gorging on prime rib and sitting on the couch, vegging out in an almost comatose state. For some, the payoff is finally getting to spend unhurried time with family. But for most of us, we know what the real payoff is. The presence. 
the gifts under the tree, the gifts that we want to open up, that we believe bring hope, hope of a better tomorrow, hope of a better future. Who doesn't like the feeling of unwrapping something that might provide so much delight, that might provide so much joy and fun, and maybe, just maybe, peace? However, experience tells us that the euphoria that we experience in receiving gifts is short-lived. Before you know it, you're left with another set of tasks to do before you head back to your normal lives. Time to take down the tree. Time to take down the lights. Put the decorations back in the box. Return the things you didn't want and get the things you really did want. Life goes on and it doesn't really ultimately change. You see, Christmas season and all its related traditions changes nothing. But Christmas points us to a real event that changes everything. And that event is the birth of Jesus Christ. Christmas points us to that event. And what if, oh, and this event is what presents us with the real gift of Christmas. And that gift, if you begin to unpack and unwrap that gift, inside that gift we'll find peace. What if in the seemingly unpeaceful season of Christmas, there was a gift of peace. And and what if you didn't have to wait till Christmas Day to open that gift? But you could open that gift now, and you would really receive the benefit of peace from that gift. That's my aim this morning. I want to unpack God's Word to help us understand that God is has given us a gift of peace that we can unwrap today and experience its benefits. In order for us to get to that point where we can receive the gift of peace, there's three actions that God takes with peace that we need to understand. Number one, we need to understand that peace is promised in Christ. Number two, peace is revealed through Christ. And number three, peace is given by Christ. Number one, peace is promised in Christ. I'm convinced that we have too small a view of peace. Peace is is so much broader than just the absence of conflict. A lot of times people say, we want peace on earth. And, And by that they mean we want like wars to stop and we want people to stop fighting each other and and that's the definition i think a lot of times we hold as far as what peace means uh, but the bible's definition of peace is much broader as we look at our passage in isaiah uh, chapter 9 isaiah calls this child the prince of peace and that word peace in hebrew is shalom perhaps the most 
well-known Hebrew word. And shalom has this idea that goes beyond just the absence of conflict, but comes with it this idea of completeness or wholeness, well-being, harmony, shalom. It's not just a lack of conflict or tension. There's a positive aspect to it. If you're trying to evaluate the health of a relationship, it's not enough to simply assess whether there's a lack of conflict. You might have a lack of conflict because people have stopped caring or apathy has set in. And in that case, that's anything but a healthy relationship. But a healthy relationship is one in which not just the absence of conflict but there's a positive aspects to it are are people loving each other is there well-being is there wholeness in the relationship this biblical idea of shalom or peace is we're asking the question are we whole are we complete are we well Are we in harmony with ourselves and with others? Can I tell you about something that I hate? Something that I hate. Jigsaw puzzles with missing pieces. I hate jigsaw puzzles with missing pieces. We, uh, my wife and I, we were uh, over at her parents for Thanksgiving, and there was a puzzle on the table that was sort of half-completed. And uh, we kind of dive in and start adding pieces. And pretty soon it became apparent there was this particular piece which should have been easy to find. It was very distinctive in color and distinctive in shape. And we were just scanning the table over and over and over again. And finally someone says, you know what? I think this piece is missing. I said, no, it can't be missing. It must be here. And then sure enough, I start looking more and more and I don't see this piece and it's just bothering me and I'm just getting like worried that if this piece is really missing then other pieces might really be missing and then I'm just spending all this time trying to find pieces that are not even there to begin with I was just lacking peace about this (laughs) I hate jigsaw puzzles with missing pieces to me it's like an exercise in futility sure enough we completed there were like multiple missing pieces not fun at all There's this mental discord, there's this disharmony when we recognize that something is broken and it's not, you can't fix it. There's missing things. No matter what we can do, no matter what I could do, I was not going to conjure up this missing piece. And so even when we thought we finished it, it wasn't finished. It was still broken. It was not whole. Life is, is a lot like a used jigsaw puzzle with missing pieces. The world is broken and it's fragmented into many pieces, not 500 pieces, not a thousand pieces, but billions and billions of fragmented pieces. We're not even sure if they're all there. Sometimes it's hard to discern the color and the shape and and we're wondering, is, is this all that there is to life? Will life just stay broken? 
And this is what we talked about last week. The world needs hope because the world is broken. The world is fragmented. Justice is broken. Safety is elusive. The truth is sometimes hard to find in the midst of the cacophony of different voices in our culture and in our media. The world is not whole. We lack peace. But not only is the world not whole, you and I as individuals are not whole. We struggle with being at peace with ourselves. We're oftentimes at war with ourselves. The things we know we ought to do, we don't do. The things we know we shouldn't do, that we do. As Paul said in Romans chapter 7. How many of you have felt like you're at war with yourself sometimes? And and in that is an expression of a reality that not only is the world broken, but ourselves, we're also broken. We're also fragmented, fighting against our own selves. And it's in the midst of this brokenness that God makes a promise. Isaiah is announcing the promise in the midst of a community that is broken just like ours. And if we go back to the passage, I will read it for us again. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this it's interesting prophecy uh, it's talking about a child and, it, and it's interesting what he's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, before we get to the peace part, the other names that he's called are really incredible. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And if we think about there's this child, like this human child, who's being called these labels, these names of whom you would never apply to a mere person. You wouldn't have called Abraham mighty God. You wouldn't have called Moses everlasting father. The Jews would not have called. They would have respected and revered their fathers, but they would have not gone to the step of calling them mighty God or everlasting father. And so this child is unique. This child is special. And it's meant to highlight that by using terms that really only ought to be applied to God himself. This child is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and he's the prince of peace, the prince of shalom, the prince of wholeness, the prince of completeness. And it, Isaiah says the government shall be on his shoulders. Government, the rule. And so this child 
who is mighty God, who is everlasting Father, is coming to govern. He's coming to rule. And I think so often we, we seek peace through political means. Or we think peace can come through political means. In World War I, up to 37 million people died. And after World War I, the, the world said, this is horrible. So many people died and our world is broken and we don't want this to happen again. We finally recognize that, that war is bad and, and in order to avert war of this magnitude, we're going to create something that will guarantee we have peace on earth. We're going to create the League of Nations. And the League of Nations worked until it didn't. You get World War II. Twice as many people died in World War II than in World War I. And so again we say, this is terrible. So many people died. Whole people groups were almost exterminated. We can't do this anymore. We must break, we must put the pieces back together. And so we're going to create the United Nations. Has it worked? Maybe. We haven't had another world war, but we certainly have had wars. People certainly continue to die. I don't think anyone would make this mistake of saying, yes, there's peace on earth. What we need is a new government with a new governor, one who is perfect. And that's the promise that God speaks into the brokenness is that he recognizes that our systems are fundamentally flawed because they're made up of individuals who are fundamentally flawed and broken and God says my promise to you is not to give you just a new human king but to give you a a godly king one who would rule in justice and righteousness and there you get this very special child this very special one who's been sent by God into the brokenness to put the government of the world upon his shoulders. And Isaiah says, of his government there will be no end. Of the increasing of peace there will be no end. And so it's this really beautiful picture of what God is up to, that in eternity he has a plan for an everlasting rule of a government in which there would be peace everlasting. And so the the wars and the conflict and the tension that we see in this world is coming to and end because God has promised to bring that peace through this child and his name is Jesus in the midst of brokenness God announces peace but what what is the nature of the peace that God is revealing and that I want to get to in my second point peace is revealed through Christ Jesus is revealed as the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke writes, starting in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and no, he, he is intentionally using some very similar language to Isaiah. He's basically saying, Jesus, and, and he's talking to shepherds. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah gave. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We get to meet the prophesied child upon whom the government of the world would hang. And Luke says it's Jesus. It's interesting the circumstances of it. The shepherds just doing their, their normal job day to day, shepherding the sheep. And all of a sudden, these angels come and say, we have good news of great joy. And they're so excited. They rush to see this, this baby in, in very humble circumstance. Like, you wouldn't expect that. If this baby is the same child spoken of by Isaiah, the one who is called Wonderful Counselor, the one who is called Mighty God, the one who is called Everlasting Father, starts off like in a farmhouse. He's not in five-star accommodations. Very humble beginnings. And, but it's in him that the whole hope of the world lies. He's come to bring peace for those whom he is pleased. Jesus comes. Does everything change? Is there peace on earth now? Jesus came. He's come to bring peace. That's what the scriptures say. He's the prince of peace. And so now he's come. Is there peace on earth? It's a fair question. And Jesus would say, not yet. Yes, already a little bit, but not yet. And, and here's what I want to explain, because I think this is really uh, important for us to understand the distinction and the type of peace that Jesus is talking about. Let me read from Luke uh, just a little bit further. Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 51. So this is grown-up Jesus telling us about what he's come to do. Chapter 12, verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. So Jesus says he didn't come to bring peace. But I thought Jesus was the Prince of Peace. Is there a contradiction? Is the Bible sort of saying two different things at the same time? And, and this is, as with other verses, one of the verses that a lot of either agnostics or atheists will use to say that, see, the Bible can't be trusted, has its own contradictions. And it's not a contradiction. It's really just understanding what the Bible teaches in its fullness. The, the, the answer is solved by understanding that there's two Advents. 
there's two comings of Jesus. Jesus came the first time and born of the Virgin Mary. He grows up, he's crucified, he rises from the dead, and then he goes back up to the Father. But before he does that, he says, I'm going to come again. He tells his disciples, he teaches his disciples, I'm coming again. And at the second coming, he judges the living and the dead. And it's really the only way to make sense of all the Old Testament prophecies is to understand that Jesus comes twice. You have prophecies in Isaiah 53 that talk about a suffering servant. But then you have prophecies like we saw in Isaiah 9 that talk about Jesus reigning and ruling. And both are true, but they happen at different times. Jesus comes first with a specific purpose. His purpose is to die for the sins of the world. And so when Jesus is speaking in chapter 12, verses 49 through 51, he says, I'm not come to bring peace, but division. He's referring to his first coming, that his main purpose is to die on the cross. And in so doing, he's proclaiming a message that will divide people. But in so doing, what he's doing is he's establishing peace between us and God. That's the purpose of the first advent, his first coming. When he dies on the cross, his blood is shed for our sins and makes peace with God. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, Art says this well. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus' first and primary goal in the first coming is to make peace between us and God. He wasn't yet concerned with the the full manifestation of all that peace and in relationships between people and stopping wars. He will, he, he comes later to do that. And so our first promise is peace with us and God. It's reconciliation. And as Paul writes in Colossians, it's reconciliation by the blood of Jesus. Reconciliation itself is a good feeling, if you've experienced it. It's a peaceful feeling. Like, most people hate the relational tension from an argument or disagreement. It it stays with you. Let's say, hypothetically, uh, Stephanie's upset at me. And, And let's say, when she's upset at me, I say something like, that doesn't make sense. Hypothetically. All of a sudden... There's a lack of peace in the Mayberry household. And I don't know if you've ever done this, like, in the morning, like, before you head off to work. Hypothetically, that, that angst stays with you throughout the day. I know I've, I've experienced that. We have an argument. We didn't get it settled before I left. And now, as I'm at work, there's this sense of unsettledness there's this sense of brokenness this lack of being whole because we didn't leave reconciled in that moment 
But inevitably, we come back together and we talk it through and we recognize, no, okay, we just didn't see each other right or, or we forgive each other. Okay, I said something I shouldn't have said. She may have said something she shouldn't have said. And there's peace that's restored. And, and, and that's, if you've experienced this, you know it's sweet. Like it feels good to know that you're good with someone. It's, 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 that's the idea of shalom. And reconciliation, which is bringing back together which was broken, is a manifestation of that type of peace. That's first and foremost the peace that Jesus is bringing is reconciled peace. That we sinned against God. We broke the relationship. God didn't break the relationship. We said, you know what? We're going to go and do our own thing. That's what Adam and Eve said when they partook of the fruit that God said, don't eat of. We broke the covenant. But God doesn't give up on us. God says, I'm sending my son to restore what you broke, what we broke. And in that reconciliation, if we believe it, if we understand it, if we believe that this is really true, then just like, just like the reconciliations that we have in our own relationships, the sweetness is available to us. The comfort and peace is available to us if we understand that, you know what? We're good with God. We're good with God, and He's good with us because of the blood that He shed through His Son on the cross. God makes peace through Jesus. It's revealed through Jesus. But why do we still go through crap in life? Can I, I can say that word. I don't know. <laughs> it's not an appropriate word for a preacher to say. Like, I, I get the ideal of it. Like, I get that in theory it feels good, and maybe I've gotten taste of it, but it's just taste of it. There's still a lot of stuff that happens in life that it seems like the world is not the way it ought to be. And if Jesus has really come to, to fix things, how come my life still seems so broken? I want peace now. And it's, it's something that the disciples even struggled with. It's interesting if you look at uh, right before Jesus goes back to be with the Father. So he's like leaving his disciples, his last instructions. And in the book of Acts... Uh, chapter 1, his disciples uh, basically ask him what I think we would all ask as well is, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom? It's a fair question, I think, because you've just seen Jesus raised from the dead, right? Okay, if you didn't believe he was the one, now you kind of got to believe he's the one. Like you haven't seen anyone just raised from the dead here he is, risen from the dead. You would think, okay, now you've, okay, we were kind of doubting once you got killed. But you did, a, you did a pretty nifty trick. Now we really believe, okay, this is the time, right? Like, we're under oppression. The Jews were not, they were not in the place they wanted to be. They wanted to go back to the glory days when they had King David and King Solomon. They had their own temple and all of its glory 
They were sovereign, and they wanted to go back to that time. They said, okay, the Messiah has come. Now's the time, right, where you set up the kingdom, and we can really have peace. Let's do it. Jesus' answer is not yet. It's up to the Father. But in the place of the not yet, this is what he says in verse 8. But, okay, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In other words, uh, there's still work left to do. And I'm going to empower you to do that work. Because this message of what I've done is not just for you, immediate disciples. It's not just for even the Jewish people. It's for the whole world. And so he says, I'm going to give you my spirit to help you do the work that I intend to do not just for you and yours, but for the entire world. So in this period of not yet, like there will be a day, he's not denying that he's going to set up his kingdom. Right? He doesn't say, no, no, I'm not doing that. He says, look, the Father has his time. But in the meantime, I've given you work to do. And this is the fullness of, of the picture that we looked at in Isaiah last week, Isaiah 11, where you get this picture of a, a completely different world where predator and prey now get along. He says, that's the vision. That is the ultimate vision. And now what I'm empowering you to do is start to put the pieces together with my help. And so the last point is, is, is what I want to unpack. What does it look like to live in the not yet? Like practically, what does it mean to pursue peace in the not yet period of time where God's kingdom is not fully established, but Jesus has made peace between us and God through his blood? What do we do in that interim period? And this is where I want to address the original question that I I asked, which is, um, what is the gift of peace for us today? Like, what is the practical thing we can take away in terms of how do we apply peace in our lives? Uh, Let me first uh, start off that Jesus does intend to give us peace now. So John, uh, John chapter 14 and verse... 27. Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus does say, I want to give you peace. He wants to give us peace. The question is, what does that peace mean? Does it mean that all of my circumstances are going to change? Does it mean that all of my struggles and all of the pain that I'm going through, all of the stress of life is going to go away? I don't think it means that, and, here, and here's why. He says a little bit later in uh, John 16, verse 33... 
Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Then he says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so right there, Jesus is making a distinction. He says, I, I've, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. But he's saying, you know what, you're in the world still. There's still going to be tribulation. So the reality is, Jesus is not promising to change our circumstances in the world. In fact, he's saying, you know what? Circumstances will still be crappy sometimes because we're in the world. But he follows that up with take heart because I've overcome the world. In other words, the peace that we can apply to ourselves right now must include with it a forward-looking trust and hope in what God will do. He says, I have overcome the world, which means there's a sense in which the, the world as it is now is not the way it will be in the future. God has overcome it, and it's just a matter of time before we see the full fruition of what God has already initiated. God has already declared. God has already brought forth the key part of his plan in sending Jesus. Take heart, he's overcome the world. It's, it's kind of like if we go back to that idea of the jigsaw puzzle. Like if I know that all the pieces are there, it doesn't matter if it's 500 pieces, a thousand pieces, a million pieces. If I know that all the pieces are there and they're the right pieces and I can identify the shapes and the colors, I can have peace in the midst of a puzzle that's still broken because I know it can be put back together. And, and, and it actually makes it kind of fun. And I think there's this way that if we can see life through the lens of a God who has said, I am putting this puzzle together, even in the midst of the puzzle, still looking broken, it's just a matter of time before all the pieces go back into place. And what he's done when he says, I've called you to be my witnesses, he's invited us to begin putting the pieces back together with him. God's doing it. He gives us the ability to see, just like I can imagine, like a child with his father looking at the puzzle, and, and pretty soon the, the father starts and says, look, this is where it goes, and, and he's watching, and pretty soon he goes, oh, wait a minute, does that go there? And the father's like, yes, that does go there. That's the kind of God we serve. He's inviting us to participate with him in bringing shalom to the world, bringing wholeness, bringing completeness. Yes, it's still broken, but it's just a matter of time as piece by piece, God brings restoration to our earth. I want to get even more practical. And John, John read this uh, passage for our prayer time, and I want to read it again. Let's go to uh, Philippians chapter 4. I think it's perhaps one of the most helpful passages on peace from a practical standpoint. Starting in verse 6, he says, uh, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God 
which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. Three practical applications. Place, pray, practice. If you do those three things, you will have peace. Place, place your faith and your trust in what God has done. Place your faith and your trust in what God has done. It, it, let me read, um, so Isaiah 26.3. It's a verse in the Old Testament. I like it. It talks about the same thing, but just in a very short statement. Verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Faith is just another way of saying trust. We trust in God. And, and, And to the extent that we trust in God, we pray to him. Like prayer is just a tangible uh, evidence of our trust in God. If we believe in what he's done, and we believe in what he will do, then we will pray. We will go to God. We will get on our knees. We will ask him for help because we believe in what he says he will do. And if you just stop there, I think it may fall short of some people help because some people will say, well, I've prayed the prayer. I've prayed. I've done it. And I don't feel peace. And I'm encouraged when he says, practice these things. At the end, in verse 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. If I said, go and practice free throws or go and practice uh, that song on the keyboard, that doesn't mean go play it once and think you all of a sudden are shooting 95% from free throws or are able to play Beethoven's Fifth. Practice means do it over and over and over again. There is built into that idea persistence. And so when he says practice these things, he means believe, pray, and repeat. Keep doing it. Keep doing it, and God will begin to bring out, bring into your hearts this peace which cannot be shaken. It's a confidence in God that in the midst of brokenness, you're good. In the midst of of chaos, you're good. In the midst of things that are stressful and things that are very hard and things that are very painful, and even and even when our minds themselves seem broken, as they often do, that God can be strong in the midst of that if we practice in prayer, if we practice in trusting God, if we practice believing. It means continuing to speak the truth of God to the lies that you're tempted to believe. And just as you get better and better as you practice whatever skill or talent you do in life, as we practice 
applying God's truths to our lives, we will experience, increasingly so, more peace from God. If you're going to take away anything from this message this morning, I think I want you to take this away. Practice praying, thinking, setting your mind on God and all his goodness. Whatever is good that you've received, practice it. And if you're not experiencing it right right away, guess what? It takes practice. And God in his grace will, I believe, allow us to experience more confidence, more trust, and more peace recognizing, yeah, that circumstances around us don't always change, but in the midst of those circumstances, what does Paul says? The God of peace will be with you in those circumstances. Maybe you're worried that you're not good enough, or maybe you're worried about your performance at work. Or you're worried about your performance as a husband or as a wife or as a friend. Believe and speak the peace of Christ to yourself. In Christ, you're good enough. In Christ, the the, the most important relationship that we have, God says, I love you. God says, you're worthy. God says, in Christ, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my family. Nothing can stop that. If we fail, guess what? We're still his son. We're still his daughter. God says, I love you. I care for you. I'm there with you. Speak those truths when you believe that you're not worthy, when you believe that you don't measure up. Because guess what? It's true. You don't measure up, but God measures up. That's the beauty of the gospel. We don't have to base our worth and our performance and how well we measure up. We look to Christ. He's the one that measures up. That's the good news, that we can be freed of these burdens that we place on ourselves when we try to trust in our performance, when we try to have it all together and we realize that we're breaking at the seams, we don't have it together, but Jesus has it together. That is the news for us. We need to practice speaking those truths so that we may receive the peace from God. And the peace of God is not something that we just hoard to ourselves as we begin to recognize the greatness of what God has done in us. We can take that gift and we can give it to other people. This is the idea of what God is doing. The beauty of what God is doing in the not yet is that he's given us peace to then give that peace to others. That is, as Paul says, the ministry of reconciliation. That's all that peace is. It's bringing back together what was broken. And we can begin to look at our relationships and remember and recall the forgiveness that we've received from Christ and extend that same forgiveness to others who have wronged us. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it's hard. It's like, okay, I've received forgiveness. Yes, Lord. Uh, Oh, hmm, hmm, I don't know. That's kind of hard. That person really did me wrong. I don't think they're ready for forgiveness, you know. They need to learn their lesson a little more. Like, that's where it really meets the road. And that's why you have to go back to Paul. How do we practice peace? Pray. Pray. There's going to be reality where we don't want to go and be the minister of reconciliation to someone else. 
And that's because we're just deficient. But if we can go to God and say, Lord, I know I don't want to do this, but Father, would you help me? Would you change my heart and give me the ability to extend forgiveness? Or give me the ability to ask for forgiveness. I've hurt someone. I know I've hurt people. Give me the the boldness to, to go and reach out to my brother and sister and ask for forgiveness. And with God's help, this is the way in which God begins to work out peace into the world. And as we think about Christmas, we think about God's first coming through Jesus. He's set into motion and he's given us everything we need to begin working this out. Like if you think of peace as as this gift, like unwrapping it is like praying and speaking truth to yourself. Like you can have the gift of peace and not experience its benefits. Just like you can have a gift and never unwrap it and just leave it sitting under the tree forever. But God has given us so much more. He said, I want you to take the gift. I want you to unwrap it. And that means praying, seeking, practicing what God has made true through Jesus. And we look forward to his coming again when he does change all the circumstances. When he does flip things on its head and there's perfect peace and there's no more tears and there's no more struggle and there's no more pain. This is the hope that we look forward to of perfect peace through Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for the peace that you've given to us through Jesus. And Lord, I know that not everyone here this morning has a deep sense of your peace right now or they've struggled at times with feeling your peace and experiencing your peace. Lord, I know that it's not through logic or argumentation that we will feel your peace. So Lord, I come to you asking for you to supply the peace in our lives that surpasses all understanding. Lord, would you incline our hearts to believe, to trust, to place our trust in you. Lord, would you incline our hearts to pray, to seek you in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of the stress of life, the busyness of life. I pray that you would help us to make room or as Paul says, to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us uh, confidence in persisting in prayer and to keep practicing, Lord, to keep working at it, Father, with your help and your grace. Help us not to give up in seeking you and coming to you and depending on you. Lord, give us Help us to take heart in the fact that you've overcome the world and whatever circumstances we're in, you've overcome them. Father, we thank you. We ask for your help. Encourage us in your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, We also...